Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. I just lost my job. I lost my job. I just lost my job two weeks ago. I have five mouths. mouths to feed. They just don't get it. Don't they realize I have a child with special needs? My child has special needs. They have no idea what that is like. My home life is too uncertain. My home life is just too uncertain. They, they wouldn't, wouldn't understand. I'm too new to the church. I'm new around here. They're not talking to me. I'm in way too much debt. I'm in way too much debt. Way too much debt. Do they have any idea what it's like to be in $40,000 worth of credit card debt? I'll stop going to this church if they talk about tithing again. The church looks pretty new and seems to be running fine without my money. I'm just trying to focus on paying for college. I don't have enough to give. I don't have enough to give. I don't have enough to give. I've already given to the last five capital campaigns. What else do they want from me? What else do they want from me? I used to give at another church and they didn't do anything for me. They don't need my help. The church doesn't need me to give. They have plenty of givers out there who can make up the difference. They don't need my help. My husband doesn't go to church. Don't they realize that I don't even have access to write a check without his permission? That's just something other people do. I keep meaning to, but haven't gotten around to it. I don't want to give. I don't want to give. Why would I want to give to a church? My kids' activities are pretty expensive. I just don't have anything left. I just don't have anything left. Do you have any idea how much braces, band uniforms, and club volleyball cost? I just don't have the money. I just plain don't have enough money. I just don't have the money. All right, so who of us here hasn't had one or two of those thoughts over time, right? That's why I'm excited about the series that we're going to start today. We're calling it Transformed. Because I really believe that God is going to do a work in our hearts of transformation. Now, in any realm of life, whether it's your business, whether it's your vocation, whether it's your devotional life, your prayer life, uh, your missional mindset, servanthood, whatever it is, there's always four phases that come in the transformation process. And today I want to take up the first of those phases. It's the wake up phase or the awakening phase where you begin to realize something could be different than it is. Not that I really want that, not that I'm ready for that, not that I'm going there, but just waking up to the reality, it could be different. That's what I want us to look at today. We're going to go to Luke chapter 12. So go ahead and turn in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book in the New Testament. And if you need a Bible, why don't you flag down an usher? They're in all of our rooms. And while I'm saying that, let me just say welcome in all of our rooms, whether you're in Center Court East, Center Court West, whether at the Woodlands, whether you're in Korea. What an awesome story we heard about you last week. That was amazing. And whether you're online, however however it is that you're here. We're glad that you're here today. 
So while you're turning to Luke chapter 12, uh, let me ask you this. I wonder if you read the story of the two men in Kentucky who decided that they were going to rip the face of an ATM machine off. So what they did is they, they decided they would run the chain from the face of the ATM machine to their truck. And when, but the problem is when they hit the gas, the truck lunged forward, but the face of the ATM did not pop off and money did not come spewing out. Instead, the chain, uh, still firmly attached to the ATM, jerked the bumper of the truck off to the ground. They panicked and they fled, never considering the fact that their license plate was also attached to the bumper, still attached to the ATM machine. So the authorities didn't have to work too hard to track them down. Not the smartest move. Now, most of us would never try something like that, but I do believe that our quest to get more can rob even the smartest of us of our common sense. I see people all the time who want nothing more than, you know, what you might call the normal American life, to have a house, to have a car, maybe two, to have a family, you know, maybe a pet or two, and this sort of thing. It becomes, though, something that they run up all sorts of debt to be able to achieve. And before they know it, money is controlling their lives. It becomes now what they worry about, what they stress about, what they think about all the time while they're trying to enjoy this life that they have created. And so they pick up extra hours, they work overtime just to try to pay for this life that they thought would be so enjoyable. One author put it this way. He said, the problem these days is that many Americans aren't so much making a living, they're making a dying just trying to pay for what they thought would be so enjoyable. So even if you don't ever leave your bumper attached to a chain, attached to an ATM machine, money money can cause any of us to do the strangest things, can't it? I'll tell you what the nub of it is. In one word, the nub of it is greed. Now, I know what many of you are thinking right now. You're like, okay, so he's going to talk about greed. Well... That's pretty good news for me because I'm not greedy. Moi, you know, and so, but it's good that you're talking about them because I know a lot of greedy people. In fact, I saw one or two here today. So it's good that you're going to go ahead and preach about that today. But I think I get a pass on this one. Well, before you point your finger too quickly, let me just ask all of us to do a little soul searching. Have you never salivated personally at the thought yourself of having a new car or house? or maybe some new kitchen appliances, or some golf clubs, or some jewelry, or maybe a procedure even being done on your body, or taking a certain trip, or maybe just fixated on the number on a lottery ticket, or your fantasy lineup. Surely, I'm not the only one who has wrestled with this. All of us wrestle with this this thing called greed. And so the, the, the reality is the greed monster prowls around seeking 
whom he can devour all the time. And he doesn't play favorites. The truth of the matter is he targets everyone, rich, poor, everything in between. You're not exempt. None of us is exempt. He comes after all of us. And I think that's why Jesus spoke so forthrightly about this subject. And, and that's why we're going to look at it. Starting in uh, Luke chapter 12, and we'll go to verse 13. Let's see what Jesus uh, said about this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable, the ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So, this is the word of the Lord, unfortunately. Now, I want us to wrap our minds around three things, okay? Because this is a very penetrating text. It nails all of us. But as I've studied it, I, I, I think I've distilled it down to three things that we really have to wrap our minds around if we're going to, to get this. So if you're taking uh, notes, here's the first one. Greed is hard to identify in ourselves. And by that, what I mean is it's sort of like bad breath. It's not hard to recognize when somebody else has it, but we don't tend to notice it in ourselves nearly so easily, do we? And so in verse 13, when the man in the crowd rudely interrupts Jesus while Jesus is just teaching along, he says, teacher, tell my brother to invite, to divide the inheritance with me. What did Jesus do? He didn't even go to the presenting issue. He never addressed inheritance. What did he do? He just dove right in to the real issue the issue beneath the issue greed he said the problem is greed what's he say he says watch out be on your guard for all kinds of greed now why does he say that Jesus why does he say watch out Jesus talked about all sorts of things right he talked about lust he talked about murder envy sex you name it he talked about it but he never said watch out be on your guard against all kinds of murder. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of adultery. He never said that, did he? You know why? Because those are so clear cut. You know if you've committed adultery or stolen something or told somebody a lie. Nobody gets halfway into a killing and says, gosh, you know, I, this might be homicide. Maybe I shouldn't. It doesn't happen that way. Murder, adultery, stealing, lying, they're all very clear cut. But greed... Greed is not nearly so clear-cut, is it? Where's the line? Where's the line across which I just became greedy? I wasn't greedy, but now I just became greedy. See, that's the problem. And that's why he's saying, guys, you really have to watch out for this one because this, it's a sneaky thing. It'll slip up on you, and you won't even realize it. 
I, I've had many conversations over the years with, with men who will come uh, you know, in private and say, I'm, I'm really having a hard time uh, with pornography. You know, I'm having a problem with porn. Or even I've, I've, I've committed adultery. You know? and they know. There's no, no ambiguity about it. Why? Because there's a crystal clear behavior that proves this. But I've never had anybody come up to me in all the years that I've done ministry and say, Pastor, I'm greedy. I used to think of things as luxuries, but now I think of them as necessities. What's happening to me? I don't know. I'm turning into a greedy pig. Help me. I've never had anybody come along and say that to me. Why? Because there's not typically one behavior that proves greed. Sneaks up on us. Therefore what? Therefore, I think as Tim Keller says, we'd probably do well to assume that we're in denial about this one, all of us, and that we're probably under the influence of greed more than any of us would like to realize. Now, I know that that's kind of a punch in the mouth on a Sunday morning, on a beautiful, cool Sunday morning at that, but it's what Jesus said to the man uh, here, and I think it's what he would say to us today as well. So the first thing is, it's very hard to recognize, to identify in ourselves. Second thing, greed tells us that everything we have is ours. What's mine is mine. The farmer in that story, he'd obviously worked plenty hard and apparently he'd been honest and so he fills up one barn, he fills up another barn, fills up all the barns and finally says, gosh, I just got so much, my barns runneth over. So he says, I'll just knock over these barns and I'll build bigger barns and we'll stuff those fill and finally when I press the doors closed and latch the doors down, maybe finally then I'll have enough and I can take it easy and eat and drink and be merry. The problem wasn't his success. Oh, no, the problem wasn't that. The problem was that all he could think of was himself. If you look at verses 13 through 16 and do the Bible study yourself, take a highlighter, take a uh, pen, and just circle all the times that I, me, my, mine, myself occur. I think I counted 13 when I did the exercise. It keeps occurring in his life. And you know what? It keeps occurring in our lives too. I, me, my, mine, myself. The way greed works is that we start to think it's all about me. And everything that I have is really mine. That's my account. That's my job. That's my child. That's my body. It's, it's mine. But the Bible says that what you think of as yours is not really yours. But you already know this. Instinctively, you know this. Because all you ever have to do to know that you know this is to lose something. You lose a little bit of money. You lose a loved one. You lose your health. And all of a sudden, what you thought was all mine, you begin to realize was not really all mine. Not forever. 
That's why Psalm 24, 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. That's why, you see, the transformed follower of Jesus Christ never hesitates to acknowledge everything that I have ultimately came from God and everything that I have ultimately belongs to God. See, you and I, we came into this world with nothing and we'll leave someday with nothing. So in the meanwhile, we're just stewards of all the stuff that God has entrusted to us while we're here on earth. And when he's done with us, here's the catch. When he's done with us, he'll take all of that stuff that we thought of as ours and he'll entrust it into the care of other people. And they'll steward it for a while and then when he's done with them, he'll take all the stuff and he'll entrust it into the care of still other people. The stuff keeps on living, but we don't, which proves that what is yours now is not ultimately yours. So God is, it's like he's saying, hey, wait a second, that's my stuff down there. The reason you have it is because I entrusted it to you. I gave you some extra talent. I gave you some extra abilities and I gave you some help and gave you a few connections and, and, and I gave you all that because I thought I could trust you with it to be a good steward and to be generous and to do great things with it. But see, the farmer in this story, he never realized that. Everything started and ended with him. He never realized, it's really God's stuff. I'm just entrusted to be the steward of it right now. And that's why the night before he died, God said, you are a fool. Pretty strong words. Which leads to the third observation. Greed makes us rich towards ourselves, but never rich towards God. Since the farmer couldn't see past his life on earth, the only person he was ever rich towards was himself. But, but he wasn't towards God. That's what you see in verse 21. Now, this is a very serious word uh, here because all of us, we can all become just like that farmer, can't we? We'll spend money that we don't have to get things that we can't afford. But then, follow me here, then somebody comes along and says, hey, you know what? I'm going on this mission trip and I need to raise some, some funding for it. And I was wondering if you could help me by supporting me on this mission trip. Or somebody comes along and says, hey, we're, we, we were thinking maybe we would adopt a, a compassion child and, and you know, do, the, do the deal where they get the food and the clothing and take care of them in another country where they don't have much. And, and we were thinking maybe we could do that together. Or there's a project at church. Say, hey, you know what, we're doing this and why don't you come and, and, and be a part of that? There's all sorts of things that, that come along and <clears throat> these, these opportunities if you will, where you could be rich towards God, giving it away. But what do we instinctively do? We open up the gates to our barn to assess how much will I still have if I were to do this? And then we say, gosh, you know, I think I could maybe eke out 25 bucks or 50, maybe 100 but I, there's no way I could go beyond that. So here you are. But here's the irony. Later that day, 
you come across something that you really want. You see some new clothes. You see some decorations. You see a, a new car. And all of a sudden, everything changes. And now we start doing backflips to figure out how can I get that because I need it, I gotta have it, I'm not gonna be happy until I have it. We work harder, we do extra hours, we'll put it on the credit card and just charge it if we don't have a way to pay for it and we figure we'll take care of it down the way later. But, but if we want it now, we're gonna get that, don't we? When you think about it, it's really kind of hypocritical, isn't it? Because when God gives us, gives us an opportunity to be rich towards him by giving some away, it's, we lose all our creativity. And then we start looking at the bottom line and say, I think that's about all I can afford. But we never use that line any other time in our lives. We never say that otherwise. Why? Because we're all greedy. And I'm not just saying you people out there. Me too. I wrestle with this as well. We're all taking this journey. We wrestle with the same thing that the farmer in this story that Jesus told wrestled with. We want to stuff our barns full and then build some bigger barns and stuff those full, all the while forgetting that the day is coming and when what we thought of as ours will pass into the hands of other people. Now, let's be clear about something uh, while we're talking about this. The problem here is not being rich, okay? Because I know some of you, you're, you are rich. Well, the truth is all of you are rich. All of us, anybody hearing my voice, if you make more than, what is it, $2 a day, I think, by world standards, we're in the top little tiny, you know, we don't think of ourselves as rich, but by world standards, we're rich. Okay, all of us are rich. So the problem is not being rich. And we know that from scripture because there were people who enjoyed God's favor uh, in a splendid way. You take Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, jo uh, David, Solomon, Job. All of those guys were fabulously rich. Go to the New Testament, you have Joseph of Arimathea, uh, who was tremendously wealthy and wanted to ensure that Jesus would have a proper uh, burial. Okay, so the problem is not richness. The problem is richness without richness towards God. That's the problem. That's what we're talking about here. Which begs the question, well then, so how do I become rich with God? How do I become rich towards God? Malachi 3.8 is a famous place in the Old Testament where the prophet Malachi says something interesting. He said, you're robbing God. They're like, how are we robbing God? He says, you're robbing God by withholding tithes and offerings. Now, in the Old Testament, everyone was told to give 10% of their income away. It was called the tithe. Now, if you instinctively are thinking, that's a lot of money. You're not the only one thinking that. In fact, if you're thinking, I really kind of wish I'd skipped this Sunday and just jumped in next Sunday, you're not the only one thinking that. All right? So, but, but stay with me just for a minute and follow my train of thinking here. Okay? Think about it this way. What if you were in the money man management business? Okay? Some of you are in the money management business. That's your profession. But suppose all of you were. All of us were money managers. 
And one day somebody comes into your office and says, I, I would like to give all, I, I want, I've heard good things about you. I hear you get very good returns. And, and so I want to entrust all that we have and it's worth, you know, X. And I, I want you to, to just do what I've heard you do with all sorts of accounts. I want you to do that uh, with mine. You'd say, oh, okay, well, thank you. Honored that you know, to be considered. Uh, let's talk about terms. If, if I become your manager, then I'm going to take 1% off the top. That's, that's my cut. That's how I get paid. But trust me, I'm going to get you a lot more than 1%. Okay? Now, suppose the person who came in to, to, to say this to you and say, no, no, I want you, said, 1%? <laughs> no. No, I don't want you to just keep 1%. I want you to take all that I have and I want you to manage it and I want you to keep 90%. All I need back is 10%. That's all I need. Now, if that were the terms that somebody came into your office offering you as a money manager, you would take that job, right? Of course you would. But don't you realize that's exactly what God says to each of us? Here's the deal. It's all mine. And I'm going to entrust it to you to do uh, good and, and generous things with. And, and here's the terms. I only want 10% back. You can keep the 90. Now, Malachi goes on. He doesn't just say, if, therefore, if we don't give back the 10, we're not just stingy. He goes on and says, no, no, that's, that's actually robbery. It's thievery because we're not even giving back to the owner what he said, this is, this is just a little bit amount that I would like to have back. Now, I know when I say that, any number of you are going, ah, oh, but, but wait a second. <laughs> That's Old Testament. I know, tithing is Old Testament. The New Testament doesn't really talk about the, the, old, the, 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 the tithe. I know that you're thinking that. But let me just ask you a question. And you don't even have to really know the Bible very well to know the answer to this question. Do people in the New Testament receive less grace, less revelation, less benefit from God in the New Testament than they received in the Old Testament? No, of course not. See, they received more grace and more benefits. The reason the New Testament doesn't emphasize the tithe is because Jesus did not give a tenth of his life or we would still be lost. He gave it all for us. So remember how last Sunday when Ben was preaching about Zacchaeus, he highlighted that once Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, once he met Jesus and looked into his eyes and felt his grace and felt his forgiveness and knew this man has looked into my soul of souls. He's seen every dark, dirty, rotten, horrible, polluted thing that I ever did. And yet he's offering me grace. He's offering me forgiveness. What changed? Everything changed. The next thing that Zacchaeus does is, hey, Lord, look at this. <laughs> I'm just giving it away. 50%. How's that? And what does the Lord do? He doesn't go, oh, no, 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 no. Whoa, you're getting a little carried away there. Not 10% will be enough, Zacchaeus. He doesn't do that. He says, good job. Truly salvation has come to this home. I can look into your heart, Zacchaeus, now, and I can see the switch got flipped. Everything's changed inside of you. The generosity is just a sign, a symptom, a practical outworking 
of the transformation. I see it's happened inside of your heart. And that incidentally is why none of us here gets a pass on this challenge. And this I realize is quite a challenging message. Because even those of us who are giving 10% of our money away, I'm afraid that for us, the temptation might be to sort of, we get it on autopilot and we never even think about it and we say things like, you know, once I started tithing, I really, we, got, we kind of adjusted and got used to it and never really thought about it again. But I think we have to wrestle about something different. It's the question, are we really living like Zacchaeus in the New Testament with radical generosity? Or are we still just settling for ground floor, basic, starter level, Old Testament tithing? So see, none of us gets a smug pass on this. All of us, all of us have to ask, am I really being rich towards God? Am I being radically generous? How can I know? Well, when you've been touched by Jesus, friends, like Zacchaeus, the subject changes. It changes from how much do I have to give? How much do you want to? What could I do? Everything changes, don't you see? And so that's why Zacchaeus' outcome last week in the text was so different than the text this week. The farmer in our text and Zacchaeus had such very different outcomes. Now, remember also one more thing from last week. And if you didn't hear that one, I hope you'll go back and listen to it. Why, uh, why was Zacchaeus up in that tree? You remember he was up in that tree because nobody would let him in to see the parade where Jesus was coming because they all hated him. He was despised. He was rejected. So he had to run off and get up in a tree because everybody was giving him a cold shoulder, not letting him in. And of course they were. He deserved to be rejected. He was despicable. All he'd ever cared about was himself. He was the quintessence of, of greed self-worship. So he's in that tree because he's despicable, but then Jesus Christ comes along and out of sheer grace says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down from that tree so that you can experience a feast of love and grace and forgiveness like you've never experienced before. And what we have to realize is happening, and I give credit to Tim Keller for, for, for this thought, because I'd never noticed this before. It was as if Jesus was saying, I'll trade places with you, Zacchaeus. It was as if Jesus was inviting Zacchaeus down from the tree and saying, now I'll go up in the tree. How's that? Well, remember in Galatians and back in Deuteronomy, the Bible says, cursed is he who hangs, who is hung on a tree. And what that means is the worst kind of execution was that somebody might be hanged from a tree or nailed to a cross made of tree wood. And Jesus went up on that tree, if you will, where he would die for Zacchaeus and for you and for me. He switched places with us. He said, you come down and you'll be forgiven for all of your stinginess, for all your duplicity, for all your hard-heartedness, for all your greed. You come down, I'll forgive you for all of that, and I'll go up in your stead. I'll go up as a replacement, as a substitute, despised and rejected for you. 
And when Zacchaeus saw that type of amazing grace, I'm telling you, it transformed him. It, it just absolutely rocked his world. And it will for you as well. When you experience the life changing, soul-saving grace of Jesus, and you realize how much he's done for you, everything inside of you will be transformed as well. See, the reason I believe that, that many Christians are not generous is, is not that they're stingy or that they're trying to be like Ebenezer Scrooge. No, I believe that, that many Christian believers, the reason that they are not generous is because of one word, fear. They're afraid. We're all afraid. So what do we do? We cling to our money. We cling to our savings. We claim, cling to our possessions as a hedge against the future. But what this passage is saying is that when God has come down into our lives in a personal way, everything changes. Once you realize, wait a second, all of my sins have been forgiven and I'll never be condemned like the rich fool in our text today. And someday after I die, I'm going to be given a resurrected body that will last 10 billion years and more. It'll hit you. What on earth could I be afraid of? There's nothing to be afraid of. What more could I ever need? I've got it all. Why? Because of what he has done for us. And when that realization hits us, I'm telling you, generosity is one of the natural, practical outflowings of it. So, if you say, oh, well, Ken, I know that God loves me, but you're not radically generous, then maybe you don't really know that God loves you. Oh, you might know it, you know, theoretically or even theologically in your head, but you haven't truly sensed it in a life-changing way down in your heart. Let me be crystal clear about something. Okay? The message today about waking up um, this first phase in the transformation process, the message is not. So you better feel guilty and you better dig down deep and you better give some more money to church. That is not the message. Don't you dare go out and say that's what the message is. That is not the message. The message is this. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. Look at all he did for you. All he's done for you. All he is still doing for you. And as you do, see if your perspective doesn't begin to change. And as it does, every facet of this earthly life, including your outlook on your stuff, it'll be transformed. So a year ago, you could have said to me, you know, uh, Stuart Solomon is a good man. And he's a very good cardiovascular surgeon. And I'm sure I would have looked politely at you and say, sure, oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad you think that. Good, thank you for telling me that. But no matter how, how much you went on and on, it wouldn't have changed me, not on the inside, Till nine months ago when I found myself in his 30th floor office at 6400 Fannin Street. 
And in five quick minutes, my outlook changed from, I think I'm having a little indigestion, to no, you're on the brink of having a massive heart attack. Your body is trying to go into coronary arrest right now. But Dr. Solomon didn't just tell me and, and say, so I hope that works out all right for you. He, he didn't do that. He said, no. After he explained that, he said, I want you to stand up and I want you to walk with me. And he walked me down a hall. He said, just walk slowly. And he pressed the button and we got on an elevator and we began to go down. And I said, am I going to go in an ambulance? He said, I don't have time for an ambulance. They'll take you to the emergency room. That's where they have to check you in. And it'll take an hour or two to get you to where I need you. I, he, he, we, the elevator door opens and we walk out and he chirps his Lexus. And he opens up the passenger door and he said, now I want you to sit down gently. So I sat down gently in that Lexus. He closes the door, walks around, gets in, drives me down out of the parking lot into, uh, onto Fannin Street, three blocks down into a different parking lot where the hospital was, says, don't get out of the car, just sit there. While well, he went over and got the wheelchair, brings the wheelchair over and says, now I want you to gently just move from that seat into this chair. I said, I really, I think I can walk. I don't, he said, you don't know how sick you are. I need you to just gently move into the chair. I said, I'll be glad to. Thank you. He pushes me over the overpass into that hospital up to the 10th floor where they could get me into the cath lab where he could get inside my body and see, yes, your LAD artery was 99.9% blocked and where he could spare what was going to happen within the next night or certainly the next day from happening in my life. The next morning, when he came to see me, I found myself a little bit emotional. And I just kept telling him, thank you. I had pondered it all night, couldn't even sleep. I was just almost euphoric about everything that had happened. And I just said, what can I do to say thank you? I just went on, thank you, thank you. I wanted to hug him and you know, all this stuff. And, and, <clears throat> and you know something, when I got home, when I got home, I did something I have never taken the time to do. I opened up my computer, and I went on one of those doctor sort of evaluative websites at, where you, most people kind of put in their negative stuff. And, and so I went on, and I found Stuart Solomon, and I went five stars, five stars, five stars, five stars. Best doctor, go to him. Do it now. Don't wait. I went on every single website I could find that had his name, and I put the same reviews in, and I found myself wanting to write this note and say just thank you, thank you, thank you. How will I ever say thank you? Suzanne says thank you. My boys say thank you. And I just, how, now did they ask me to do any of that? No, they didn't ask me to do one bit of it. Why did I do it then? Because experientially, I realized what he had done for me in saying, you don't know how sick you are. I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to get you through this, but you need to come with me now. It's interesting. As I've pondered that over and over and over, I've fallen in more, more in love with Jesus as well. Because it, it's occurred to me that well before I ever walked into Dr. Solomon's world, Jesus Christ walked into my world. And he looked into my heart. And he said, I can see into your soul of souls. And I see the thoughts that you think. I know the, the selfishness of them. And the lustfulness of them. And the greediness of them. And the 
arrogance of them. I see all of that. And I have heard all the words you've ever said, even the ones you hope nobody else would hear you say. And I've seen everything that you've ever done, even the things you hope. Nobody, I hope nobody will ever know about those. I know it all. And yet, I love you. And I'm going to save you. There's nothing you can do. You could never get yourself out of this. So I'm going to save you. You just come with me. And I'm telling you, the more I realize what Jesus has done for me, the more I realize he says, now I can do more than just fix the, the heart, the physical heart in your body. I can give you a whole new heart. And I can do more than just give you a few more months or a few more years or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 more years. I can give you all eternity, he says. And on the other side of this life, I can give you a resurrection body that will last for 10 billion years and more. And the more I ponder that, the more I realize how much he has done for me when I did nothing to deserve it, the more I feel gratitude and thanks welling up inside of me like I've never felt before. And as this happens, I notice that my spiritual heart grows soft and more patient with others and more concerned with others and more caring about others. And my love begins to blossom where it used to be cold and, and even generosity begins to want to come out. And it's not because it, it's not a have to anymore. It's a get to. So see, here's the thing. The thing we, we throw our money at the stuff that makes our hearts beat fast. So if you're not throwing your money at the Lord's purposes, godly causes, kingdom-expanding ministries, then maybe it's because you just haven't really felt how much he cares for you and how much he's done for you. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus upon him. Pursue your relationship with him. Grow in your relationship. Open up the Bible and actually read the Bible. Ponder his goodness to you over and over. And as you do, you're going to notice that you begin to experience an overwhelming sense of gratitude. And flowing from that comes generosity. And then you'll start to understand how much more exhilarating it is when we live richly for him rather than for ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. You speak to us about every subject. There's not really a subject that you don't give us your word and your wisdom on. Certainly this subject, this subject of greed, gets very much to the heart of all of us. None of us is exempt. Oh, well, some of us might pretend I'm not greedy and still try to protest and convince ourselves it's not. So forgive us, though, Lord, because at the end of the day, all of us, we all wrestle with this. But thank you that you're not a God that just condemns and says, so there's your consequence. Rather, you say, but I can save you from it. 
I can rescue you. I can make all things new inside of you. So come to me. Trade places with me. I'll take the punishment on the cross for you because you deserve it, but I'll take it. So trade places with me. Transfer your sins onto me and I'll transfer my righteousness into you. And when that gets a hold of us, Lord, everything changes. My prayer, Lord, today is that you would do that transforming work in us. Not just today, but in the, in the coming weeks as we continue to talk about the transformation process. Lord, my prayer is that particularly those of us who've journeyed a long time with you, maybe 20 and 30 and more years, we've been believers for a long time. Forgive us, Lord, for the, I don't know, callousness that our hearts can develop because we've sort of lost the, the wonder of it, the newness of it, the fact that your amazing grace would work in us. Forgive us for that. Won't you reawaken us? And for those who here maybe have never said yes to Jesus in the first place, uh, my prayer is right now that you, friend, would just open up your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to come in. I'm asking you to be my savior, to change me, to rescue me, to save me, to turn me around, to melt my cold heart, to make me become a person who really just floats along in the amazing sense of gratitude I feel for all that you've done and are going to do throughout my eternity. Trust in Jesus, only Jesus. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. My name is Michael Sullivan and I'm the business administrator here at FaithBridge and I'm joined by Pastor Ken who just gave a great message to kick off our Transform series, and now he's going to answer a couple of your questions. Thanks for being here with us, Ken. Happily. Uh, the first question that we received was, Pastor Ken, we give way less than 10%, but we give a lot in resources. We want to increase our monetary giving, though, to reflect our faith. We don't carry debt beyond our mortgage, and we have just canceled our cable and don't miss it at all. What other practical tips could you offer for those of us like us? We want to be wise and saving and giving, but aren't where we'd like to be. Sure. Well, first of all, I appreciate the heart uh, behind whoever mm -hmm. sent that in. Uh, oh, that more of us would have that kind of heart. Mm -hmm. So, well, uh, a couple of thoughts. First of all, I can relate, Suzanne and I, even in the last month, went through a process of, of figuring out, okay, we've got to cut some stuff. We're just, we're, we're, we're being, I wouldn't say, well, yes, I would have to say, rich towards ourselves, but so many times we don't feel like, it's just sort of the, the things you get yourself into and you're paying for this and we just, wait, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. I suppose we had to comb through the budget 10 times to be able to 
because you get so accustomed to, well, you have to have, well, you don't have to have that. Mm -hmm. And so we had to go through it about 10 times to finally get down to the number that we really felt like was the responsible number, the number that was where we should be. I wish I could, I mean, obviously I don't know the, the individuals or the family's situation, mm -hmm. so I can't really say, well, it's, you know, it's this or this category, because I, but I would say this, the best exercise that they and all of us, I think, can enter into is the ongoing exercise of evaluating it. One of the things that I recommend is sign up for the Financial Peace University mm -hmm. class that we're going to run. You know, that's Dave Ramsey. Mm -hmm. And we're going to run a cycle of that. We're not going to start it right now. We thought about starting it right now, but we're going into Thanksgiving. We're going into Christmas. That's just not a great time to start. But you can sign up now. That That's online. And it'll kick off, uh, I think, in early January. Mm -hmm. We'll get it going. And that's a great process because you have, you know, what is it, 10 weeks or something like that, that you, that you actually are going to grind through that and you're going to work on it. You'll be with some other people at your table who are, they're going through the same thing. We're all in this together and we're all trying to grow and learn and, and improve here. So I'd say get signed up for FPU and keep taking the journey and, and working at it. Yeah, and I like that suggestion because I think some people have an idea that FPU is only for those maybe in debt, and that's not the case oh, at no. all. This oh, is no. a great class oh, that, like you said, yeah. helps you budget and, and think through oh, those yeah. things and say, what are my wants and sure. what are and my needs? Yeah, exactly, and even those of us who were pretty good at it, mm -hmm. just creating the um, environment that we enter into weekly for a few weeks and say, I'm going to discipline myself to grind through this again. That's a great exercise for all of us. Mm -hmm. So all of us can, can always improve and get better at this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The next question comes in and it is, what about a single parent who receives no financial support from the other parent and is on welfare and can't even afford health insurance? Uh, it says that this and other similar hardships aren't really clear. The only thing that comes to mind is, is having faith and a tenfold of blessing that comes from that and the example of the poor lady who gave everything she had versus the person who just gave out of their uh, wealth. Still, when I've done the math over and over again, I can't figure out how to consistently tithe without something else getting paid. And the writer even says there's several of us that are struggling oh, with yeah. this, and I think that is a popular oh, sure. question. Absolutely. Well, I, again, I appreciate the heart behind it, the authenticity, mm -hmm. and am certainly sympathetic to the situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think what I appreciate about this questioner is that she's wrestling with it. Mm -hmm. That's half the battle, just to say, well, I'm gonna wrestle with it. I'm gonna look at it, I'm gonna pray about it, I'm gonna think about it, I'm gonna work on it, maybe go to FPU and, and see if there's some angles there that I haven't discovered and some insights. And so, so I appreciate her willingness to, to wrestle with it. Far be it from me, I know there's some preachers that would say, you know, sow a dollar and God'll, it's bound to give you $10 back and 
and so on. And I've seen some catastrophic things happen from that. So I'm not going to say that. What I would say, though, is that I know that I know that I know that any time I personally or anybody I've ever known who loves Jesus has taken a little step of faith, you know, you, you, you have, I've got this much faith. Well, you act on it. And what's God do? Somehow or another, and it's never in a predictable way necessarily, he surprises us and shows up. And, uh, you know, like the, the widow in the uh, uh, Old Testament who the, the oil just kept replenishing itself. Who understands these, these things other than that when God is in the mix, things happen. So I would say, well, if you can't, if you can't, if you're doing the math and you can't see how in the world could I do that? Well, what if we start here and just say, God, this is as much faith as I have. I believe, but help my unbelief and let him surprise you with that. And then when he gives you this much faith, respond with that and let him surprise you with that. And because and, faith is kind of like a muscle and it will grow as, as we, you know, step into the experience of, of being faithful. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the word that I would say sure. there. And in that you'd mentioned financial peace again sure. as an option. And I just like to highlight that for situations like that, we do have scholarships available because we do want everyone for the class, for the class. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. If you, if you need the scholarship, absolutely. That way they can also attend that. Absolutely. The next question is, what counts as a tithe, and how do we know we are meeting what God wants from our generosity? Good question. Uh, well, what counts as a tithe, I guess at the foundational level, the standard is a tenth. Um, but I, well, I say that's a good question. I, it is a good question, but, but I would challenge the question maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, we'll read the second part of it again. The second part is how do we know what we, how do we know we are meeting what God wants from okay. our generosity? Right. So see, maybe that's the point that we need to, to, to say, wait a second. Are you starting at the right end of this? Mm -hmm. Because if we're saying how much must I, how much do you know, do I have to, have we really got the message that, that we were talking about today? Mm -hmm. Because if, if we really got it, then we're starting from the other side of the continuum and saying in light of what he has done for us, um, you know, what could I do? What more could I do? Where could I show, uh, love and gratitude and generosity? And so, um, in a lavish, you know, um, radical sort of way. So I would challenge the questioner to go back and say, wait, 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 All right, let's, let's not just approach this from, okay, how much, you know, because I want to get God off my back mm -hmm. and make sure he's happy. No, I don't think that's, that's, that's not what we're going for here. This is something that has to do um, with our heart. And so I would say, go back and say, how much has, has God done for you? Mm -hmm. And how much has he saved you? And, um, and ponder that and then let your generosity uh, flow out of that. 
so incidentally, that's actually what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about this concept of surrender because see, it's not about what I'm giving. It's about what I'm not giving and why that's really getting to the nub mm -hmm. uh, of it. It's a good question for all of us. And I think it's going to be a good process for us all to work through next week. Mm -hmm. The next question is, what suggestions would you have for couples that are divided about tithing? Maybe one sure. spouse is all for it, yeah. and then one spouse is against it. And how do you handle that? Sure. I'm going to make an assumption, and maybe I'm wrong to make it, but whenever this situation has occurred that I can think of, it is always the female who wants to be generous and the male who doesn't. And this could be different. Obviously, I don't know who the questioner is, but, but let me address it from that angle first. Mm -hmm. I think of how it was in 1 Peter when Peter was writing uh, to the Christians and the situation was that some of the Christian wives, they would have happily said, get lost, loser and divorced their husbands and, and gone on. Mm -hmm. But Peter's gonna say, no, don't do that. Um, you might be the lifeline to your husband for the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so I want you to have a winsome witness. Mm -hmm. And uh, because who knows, but maybe they'll come to trust in Jesus and have a transformed life and it'll be because you stayed with them. Mm -hmm. And um, because you're an awesome, spouse. So what do we have? Well, we have two things going on. We have the marriage relationship and the money relationship. And Bible speaks to both of these a lot. Mm -hmm. So the questioner is basically asking which one gets the nod. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'm going to say, go with the marriage first. Um, and Let's act upon the wisdom of God's word and say, so you just be a faithful spouse, as winsome as you can be, letting your light shine. And we'll just pray that he, or, and, and I think it works very much the other way, or she will see your light shining and say, okay, you, you're finally convincing me, not so much by nagging me about this, but just because I watch you and I see what God's doing inside of you and has done inside of you and done inside of us. And so I want to join you uh, in this. I would say let's start with the marriage and then uh, uh, get to the money rather than making this the line in the sand because that can really fracture uh, mm -hmm. a, a, a marital relationship badly. So I think that's, that's the direction I'd approach it at least. That's a good answer. Uh, this, isn't, this last one's really not necessarily a question but more of a comment. Uh, it says that my fears center around having enough for whatever my children need now or in the future. I know God will provide, but it's very difficult to let the illusion of us providing for them go. Yeah, right. I understand that. I, I feel that myself uh, towards, towards my kids. I think um, probably this is... You know, well, I appreciate, again, the, the questioner, because even by expressing that and sending it in, what they're saying is, hey, I'm wrestling with this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. 
I think the person who ought to be concerned is the person who said something like, you know, I haven't thought anything about our finances uh, for 13 years ago because that's when we decided we were going to tithe and we're going to give this amount and this amount and this amount uh, to these kids and we're going to live off the rest and we've just put it on autopilot ever since. I think that's the person who needs to be challenged and say, wait a second, a good money manager cannot possibly put things on autopilot, say, we'll get back to, we'll, actually, we'll never get back to this because we worked it out 13 years ago. You're constantly working on this and thinking about it. And in our situation of, of managing what God has given us, you know, weekly going back and saying, okay, now, am I being responsible? Am I doing what God's called me to do in light of what um, we, we want to do for our, our children that is necessary? We don't want to be excessive. We don't want to set them up for the failure that excess can can do, but at least what can be helpful. And then what do we feel like God's saying, this is what I want this year, and this is what I want to challenge you to and step towards that. And and so it's an ongoing uh, challenge. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, I think it's great, again, that the questioner is is saying, I'm, I'm wrestling a little bit with this. Well, I think we all need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we need to resist is this sense of finally, I'll have it all worked out and I'll never have to think about it because it'll be on autopilot. That's what the rich fool was trying to do. Mm-hmm. I'll just, it'll be all worked out. I'll close those barn, barn doors and then I can just eat, sleep, be merry. And, and it's just gonna be, eat, drink and be merry. And it's just gonna be great. And that's where God says, no, 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 no. That's foolish. That's mm-hmm. not the way I intended for you to manage what I've given you. So again, I'd say, you know, jump into the FPU class just because you're creating an opportunity for yourself to go through a process. And, you know, every once in a while, we need to go through this process Mm -hmm. again and say, you know, have we set this out right? Have circumstances changed? What's God teaching us? Have I grown in my faith? Um, And to go through the process again. Well, I appreciate you answering the questions and thank you for a great word this morning and really kicking off our Transform series by asking us to wake up and take a look. It was great. And thank you for tuning in uh, to Postscript. We'll be back next week uh, talking about Transformed and surrendering. So we'll look forward to being back here with you. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.